I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Welcome to Heroes 3, the bi-weekly podcast where three friends explore the best, worst, and everything in between in the world of Asian cinema. And, well, this week we're actually not doing Asian cinema. Um, and we're beginning an arc, uh, or we're getting leading us into an arc not looking at Asian cinema. But this week we are taking a look at No Retreat, No Surrender from 1985 or 1986. It had two different premieres. But uh, it's from the mid-80s, directed by Corey Ewan. That's kind of the the... Uh, connection there and it stars a whole bunch of nobodies but it's uh <laughs> it's one of the first big roles from jean-claude van damme um and tai chung kim who we saw in the last few episodes yeah and this is yeah. kind of an early effort of a like hong kong based studio trying their best to have a hollywood release um so this is you know shot in north america um but very much the brainchild of Ng Si Yun of seasonal films and yeah. Kor Yun. And it, uh, yeah, the result is like a crazy little relic that very much has kind of like Hong Kong brain. I would even argue like Hong Kong period Kung Fu brain, like mm. transplanted to like mid eighties, you know, West coast America. And, uh, I don't know. It's really, it's really funny and weird and dumb and, memorable somehow yeah it's a good way to think about it i mean this is this sits with stuff that i would see when i would walk through the aisles in blockbuster you know when you're a kid (laughs) you it's friday after school you got the weekend coming up and you're like oh man let's find a cool movie and i mean if you see like the 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 box art with like very reminiscent of a rocky four situation but you've got (laughs) uh america versus russia and one of those Faces is Jean-Claude yep. Van Damme. And I mean, by the time I was a kid, he already had a handful of films under his belt and he was pretty well known for being an action star. And uh, yeah, but if you watch if you watch the film looking for that, you might be disappointed. But I also feel like it's just kind of a, a fun, forgettable time. <laughs> if that yeah, makes totally. sense. It's it is the the way that um one of my one podcasts I really like called We Hate Movies that was a big inspiration for this podcast actually they they describe movies like this as white guy karate movies oh yeah yeah <laughs> um, but it's it's all the stuff that kind of came out of uh Karate Kid and and you know you know some of the people from the East coming in yeah and, and like this the... this movie is very just it, it's kind of just Karate Kid yeah so. yeah allegedly Ung Siyun and Koryun um or I think Koryun saw Karate Kid in America because he actually has some family connection. In Mer- We've talked about this before, right? How he's Freddie Wong's uncle. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's which is that's it's so, so crazy. Bonkers it's it's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, supposedly uh, Corey's response was like, yeah, this Karate Kid is a big hit over here, but we could do this so much better. And mm-hmm. I think in some ways it's even though this is the product of of that uh, idea, um, I think it's still probably a, a, it's that still was a good argument at that time. Um, you know, just when you think of the prowess and um, the expertise that we've talked about before at that period in Hong Kong in like the mid eighties, it's like, yeah, under the right conditions, they absolutely could make a competitive movie to that. But um, 
you know, what we have here is a little bit shoestring, a little yeah. bit slapdash and rushed and not really the best conditions. It's funny you said that this, that like the Hong Kong like influence, because you can feel it in, you can feel the Hong Kong like direction in it in a way that's like, if these were all Hong Kong actors mm. and they were all speaking Cantonese some of the acting wouldn't feel quite as weird and yeah. Miami as it does. I love it has a completely different sensibility than, mm. than American films do. Even what uh, drives the plot. In a good way necessarily. Right. Right. And it's like, even a lot of what ends up driving the plot. Um, if you, if you kind of pause the movie and you step out of it, it like, uh, I don't know. It's, so like there are certain uh there's certain moments where it's they're trying to like pit um you know LA karate against like Seattle karate and I think if you're not if you're not <laughs> looking for it it probably would maybe go over fine for an American audience but it's really very much like an old school yeah Chinese you know Hong Kong thing I didn't even like think about my that. school versus your school and you're right um, I, it, but in some ways I'm so glad the movie was made this way and there wasn't like really heavy localization or like cultural adaptation mm-hmm. or whatever. Cause it's kind of, I feel like it sort of reveals what Corey and Ung Si Yun's, um, grasp of like, oh, this is what human nature is. It's like, this is what teenage boys are like. Um, and maybe there are <laughs> aspects of that that are universal, like across cultures but yeah not everything is and so we've we've got some teenagers acting in like pretty weird ways um (laughs) as far as american teens go but it does have a lot of those tropes that you know from 80s films too that's totally yeah the 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 love interest that has like a rival like that you end up having to fight with you've got the bully situation you've got the cool sidekick friend that you know is kind of getting into hijinks with you and um i think all of that really lands i i do love what both of you guys are saying about how if you think of it in like the hong kong cinema reflection it kind of makes a little more sense but seeing it like delivered in this very western way it kind of seems uh i don't know trite i guess but um yeah i i I feel like we're kind of forgiving the film for that because, like, I think it does miss the mark yeah, totally. in a lot of ways too. Oh, it's it's not a good movie. Yeah, um, it's well, I mean, fun. Yeah, it's 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 goofy. Mm-hmm. It's you know, I I'd say if you could do a lot worse, certainly it's not irredeemable. And they're actually like you know, there's some pretty good fight choreography in a couple of the the scenes. Yeah, so I mean, obviously Corey Yoon's involved, so he's handling a lot of the action. I also uh, read that Meng Hoi, who we've seen in a handful of films. Yeah. Doesn't he go by Harrison or something like that? Yeah, something like that. And I think that he does some doubling, too. Like, there's the moment Uh. in the garage at the beginning of the film when RJ is doing his little breakdance routine. And he does, like, a flip and then, like, kind of kick-up situation. Yeah. I feel like just Meng Hoi, knowing his build and uh, his abilities, I'm I'm willing to bet that that's him doubling for RJ's Mm. character. Um, But, yeah, I, I, I... also, there's a lot of undercranking, <laughs> like almost like oh, all of oh, the fighting yeah. towards the beginning of the film is undercranked. It but, is very noticeable. Yeah, but we we also yeah, of course we should mention Jean Claude Van Damme. Uh, mm. I mean, even just right at the outset, he looks very cool in this film. Uh, when he first shows up, he's wearing like a white suit, and he just mm-hmm. 
He looks like a a boss. He looks like a boss in a fighting game, and I love he that. He really does, yeah. Yeah, and he doesn't really get a lot of um, character at, outside of him just being like the like the iconic like final boss of the film. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, even still, you can see what people would become drawn to with Jean Claude Van Damme. He looks really good on the camera fighting, and um, he. I mean, even as a villain, too, which is kind of interesting, but seeing him look that way, you kind of think, oh, man, he could have he could have probably played some more really cool villains. Yeah, in, in no, that's a but, really good point. Um, yeah. We should also say that part of the reason we're covering this movie is um, so that it can be a bridge, you know, from our previous arc into this next arc that Matthews described, which is basically kind of like the Hong Kong impact in in Hollywood or in, in the West. Um, it's interesting though, uh, thinking about the void left by Bruce's passing and how unclear it was, like who would actually be able to fill that, like on the international stage. And it's, I don't know, it's, I think there's something really cool about, uh, Ng Yun and Corey Yun being the first folks to kind of see something, um, in this, you know, Belgian dude. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> well, I doubt anyone at the time would have thought like, oh, okay, this is going to be an international star who's really going to dominate martial arts films for the next several years. But this right. this ends up being the guy. Yeah, right. And I, we should also throw, tip our hats to Roy Haran again because he, yeah, he mentions totally. in the commentary for Game of Death 2, uh, he mentions being the guy that was like basically having to sift through a lot of the hopefuls for no retreat no surrender and among that pile of uh, like photos were photos of Jean-Claude Van Damme and what he mentions is that he was basically trained by uh Huang Zhangli to be able to identify prowess in in people so yeah, like, i mean almost immediately right like, yeah he, he said that instinctively he he saw the photos of Jean-Claude Van Damme and told uh, the seasonal films people like hey uh, you should bring this guy in and and see what's up. So, I mean, to give him credit, you know, for yeah, we, a, we it, might not have JCVD yeah. if it uh, wasn't for him. It's right. crazy to think about that, but I mean, it, it it also goes in hand with a lot of the stuff that we talk about, how the West and the East are kind of tied together, and there really isn't that much separation when you're really digging into the layers of uh, yeah, what all... pop culture is. And that actually that that leads to a good. Uh, a good jumping off point is that this movie is ve- this movie is as much in the shadow of of uh, Bruce Lee as a lot of other uh, Bruce exploitation movies. Yeah, because that's kind of the the running theme is that this this main character Jason is obsessed with Bruce Lee and his dad's a karate instructor and like he does you know he he learns karate but his uh, he's like he's passionate about like this jeet kundo and like they they specifically say like this isn't bruce lee's jeet kundo <laughs> and um this he's isn't like, the legendary he's master like, bruce lee's jeet kundo yeah. yeah exactly um and um i think related to that carlos wanted to kind of 
scrape up the last little bits of of <laughs> of, of the Bruce Lee well we can before we we drop it off and, and focus on this other stuff. Right. So I mean, I took a lot of notes for uh, all of these films that we were talking about, but I did have a little bit of random leftover stuff that I couldn't really squeeze into the episodes, and um, I was hoping to maybe drop those little tidbits here before we stop talking about Bruce Lee for a while because we've talked about him a lot and I mean honestly I mean even with a passion for the guy you're like come on we gotta I'm I'm excited to talk about a lot of other stuff too right so um yeah I just have a handful of stuff and I also I mean this film you were talking about being in the shadow of Bruce Lee also resides in the world of Bruce Ploitation we've got Kim Tai Jung as Bruce Lee in this film which that's that is beyond an excellent choice for casting like they need a guy to come in like it's just funny to I think, think of from two from two like, camera angles it's an excellent choice from the yeah. other oh camera I mean he looks nothing like Bruce Lee <laughs> yeah. but it's the guy who played yeah quote exactly. unquote Bruce Lee in yeah. some other movies right so you have some so tissue just, that connects yeah. yeah there's there's the connective tissue there that mm-hmm. I think would completely go over the head of, of any American person watching this in 1986. Yeah. So, so uh, I'll go over these little Bruce Lee leftovers. And then I also, uh, I'll talk about a handful of Bruce exploitation films that I feel like are notable enough. Uh, you know, we've talked about how kind of low quality a lot of them can be, but there's some pretty good ones too. And I, I wouldn't want people to discount these films because they kind of are just slotted with this kind of, uh, exploitation. So, um, the first thing that I wanted to bring up is fighting game stuff, as always. Of course. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure I didn't mention this on our Bruce Lee and video games, and I'm kicking myself because of it. But in uh, Capcom fashion, we talked about Fei Long, but there's another fighting game series that I love. It's called Darkstalkers. They're the vampire series. So this was like a 2D fighting game, and um, instead of having martial artists, you had these monsters. They were based on the basically the universal monsters and um the werewolf in this game kind of fits a bruce lee role which is great to me and it it really let capcom flex so uh john (laughs) talbane is the name of the character in the west and in japan his name is gallon and uh actually his his english name is based off of sir john talbot who would be uh like the father of one of the characters in uh Lon Chaney Jr.'s titular Wolfman from like oh, 1941. Wow. And that's something I found out when I was just digging him up, which I didn't know. So yeah, he's basically Bruce Lee, but a werewolf. So he does nunchuck moves. He has a rising kick and he does all the, I mean, he's a wolf, so he howls, but he also is like Bruce Lee and howling, I guess, Bruce Lee, which is really fun. The curse of the werewolf can turn a man into a pitiful creature, unable to control their own actions, their own fate. But not this man. His pride led him to train in the martial arts, to perfect his fighting, to go beyond his limits, and regain control over his destiny, his life. I completely forgot to bring him up, and I'm pretty sure, because I, I dug a little bit into what I did, and I was like, wait, did I not mention that? So I, I'm <laughs> I'm putting a Band-Aid on my own. <laughs> uh, uh, so um, let's see. I'll, also, I had, um, there's a, I don't bring up wrestling a lot, and I mean, I think I mentioned how I, I'm 
I like wrestling from like the outside looking in. There's a wrestler. Um, he's like he's based out of Japan, but equally has footing in Mexico. And uh, you know about the like the Mexican luchador style with the like yeah. lucha masks. Yeah. Um, there's a luchador named Ultimo Dragon, and his his real name is Yoshihiro Asai. And um, actually, his name is in reference to Bruce Lee. So, Ultimo Dragon in Spanish is like the last dragon. Yeah. And uh, when he was first coming up in this uh, in, in wrestling, that was kind of his gimmick, that he was the true last student of Bruce Lee. I think it's great. I mean, That's funny. yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome. So um, I, I there's no way I could have thought of how to fit him in all the episodes we were talking about. So I'm mentioning him here. I also have to mention his theme song by Luis Miguel. Um, one of his theme songs is a song called Separados. song rules <laughs> it's, oh, it's super good it's super good so yeah i'll probably be playing it here yes please you have to <laughs> um yeah so ultimo dragon ultimo dragon the nod to bruce lee there so um the next thing i wanted to bring up was actually music based and uh, one of the things i wanted to mention and i could just kept forgetting to bring it up is in 1975 so this is after bruce lee's death um it's a form of musical Bruce exploitation, but it's actually by Robert Lee, Bruce's brother, who um actually as a teenager was pretty popular in Hong Kong as like kind of a like a pop star in his own way. And um he put put out an album called Robert Lee Sings. And um I mean the titular uh song was The Ballad of Bruce Lee. So um I don't know if you yeah. guys took the time to listen to it beforehand <laughs> oh okay so it's it's very of the time it's very it's like very 70s 70s very hippie, hippie. 60s hangover kind of right. 70s yeah. well some acoustic guitar and some uh, backing vocals So <laughs> we'll, we'll drop a, tra- a little bit of this track and you can look it up, it's on YouTube. I don't know if you can get it anywhere else. Like, I don't know if it's on Spotify or anything like that. <laughs> um, but I, I, I wanted to definitely mention that. Um, so then in 1981, we've got another musical track and actually this is tied to Game of Death 2. So um, back in the day, we talked about uh, Wheels on Meals and how much we loved some of the music in that film. And um, actually, it's tied to wrestling, too, because uh, Mitsuharu Misawa, who's a legendary Japanese wrestler, would use the Spartan X theme song, which was the Japanese release of Wheels on Meals, 
that was his theme song. And um, oh wow, yeah. So that was actually composed by uh, he goes by Kurth Morrison. And um, it's it's a fake. It's like a a pen name. But uh, Toshiyuki Kimori is the composer, and he did the music for the Japanese version of Wheels on Meals. But he also did the music for the Japanese version of Game of Death too, so Tower of Death. And oh. um, I wanted to just play a little bit uh, on this episode for one of the themes. It's called Alone in the Night. you're familiar with like the spartan x theme and the music from that version of the film uh it sounds right at home with it very like high energy guitars and um very like japanese like kind of the stuff that i mean you guys know me the kind of stuff that i really like (laughs) um does it sound like a different town theme from zelda (laughs) it does not (laughs) but it's still it's still really good and it's worth a listen and i would i would check it out um actually have it's it's like a 10 disc like bruce lee like soundtrack box set that i got i imported it it's called memory of dragon super cd box and um it's like it's like everything like big boss vista fury all his films like the main themes and background music actually like kind of like ripped from the movies themselves so sometimes there's like talking and stuff but um all of these tracks are on there as well so, okay, and now we're talking about Japanese releases of, of Bruce Lee stuff. So I mentioned in our Game of Death that there was a Japanese release of that footage called Bruce Lee in G.O.D., Shibotaki Yugi. And actually, um, what I failed to mention is that the music for that version is awesome. <laughs> oh. oh, cool. Yeah, it's really good. And that's by a different man. His name is Tomohiro Endo. And um, that's like, I mean, I have that soundtrack too. And I believe Tomohiro Endo put together that Super CD box set. But um, that straight up sounds like some King of Fighters like music, <laughs> like arranged, King of Fighters arrangement stuff. And yeah, so the, the theme that I really love is actually the theme for when um, Bruce's character's fighting Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. It's the theme of the unknown. You know, that was the, the floor of the unknown. Phew! The arrangement <laughs> for that is super, super good. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I wanted to mention that as well. And then, uh, finally, this is also from Japan, too, which I'm realizing now. <laughs> okay, Carlos, I know you like all this Japanese music. <laughs> you throw this Carlos in. does have a brand. So. <laughs> this actually goes way back to me as a child, which is weird. But I'll explain it a little bit. So there's a, a band. They're based out of Japan. This band is named Orchestra de la Luz. And they're a salsa band. All of their music, well, most of their music, 99% of their music's in Spanish. And me, as a child, I was introduced to this group through my family. So my aunt, she had a little cassette tape of Orquestra de la Luz. 
And I grew up listening to them and I love all their music, but I had no idea that they were from Japan. And the whole band is all Japanese. They just they just have a passion for salsa music. And they <laughs> oh, dude, it drove amazing. them so much to have like a huge career in salsa. And they've come over to the Caribbean and to the United States to play shows. And I mean, fully embraced. There was no, I mean, I like I said, I never knew that they were Japanese until I was like starting to listen to them more. And then some of their lyrics, I'm like, wait a second, why are they, why are they talking about it like this? Like, it's yeah. like the lyrics are like outsiders like, loving salsa. Second. This, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to say, this reminds me of Japanese scum. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. But um, the reason I bring them up is that they had a, a album released in 2008 and they actually did a cover of the theme from Enter the Dragon. Yeah, you shared this one with me. Oh, that was, man. That was really, it's really good. <laughs> crazy good for me personally it's like the definitive version outside of the original obviously of that theme song it's so good and i had to squeeze it in so i just wanted to let you guys know about this look it up i believe it's on youtube yeah it's it's on youtube um and we'll include all of these in the, the episode show notes but yeah those are just some leftovers that i had that i wanted to share with you guys very cool yeah. I, I love it feels like there's like this endless well of cool Japanese music from the 70s and 80s. Yeah. yeah and it's, and it's, 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 it's great. Like I, there's the YouTube channels I follow that just post albums every week or so mm-hmm. of just weird, obscure stuff from the 70s and 80s. And like, yeah. yeah. It's become, those vinyl rips are getting better and better too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. For real. It's become very, uh, um, in vogue to dig all this stuff up and i love that because this is all the stuff that i really like to find when i was like doing all of my exploration through this stuff so yeah i'm all for it man give me more jazz fusion give me more city pop i'm i'm happy that people are putting the spotlight on this stuff yep so okay i also have like uh three three bruce exploitation picks that i wanted to mention yeah um, before we get into the film so uh the first one i wanted to mention is Bruce exploitation, but I feel like it's kind of at a different angle. So it's Enter the Fat Dragon, directed by our beloved Samuel. <laughs> yeah, it came up in 1978. And um, Samuel isn't the person you'd picture when you picture Bruce Lee, but I honestly feel like when he wants to capture that, I don't think anybody else does it better. <laughs> he he looks amazing. He knows what makes Bruce look good and uh he puts in he he puts good work into doing it in this film. And No, I uh, think so, you're you're totally right. I mean, we've we've said I mean, many times in the past, it's like Samuel's arguably one of the best screen martial artists in history of all time. Mm. And, um, you know, if, 
I don't know if things had gone a slightly different way and Jackie hadn't really broke internationally. I mean, there, maybe there is a universe in which Samo would be the next, um, the next dude. So, but yeah, yeah, just such a cool, such a cool movie. It's great. Yeah. It's really good. So it's kind of a take on Bruceploitation in a way. So, um, if you know a lot of Bruce Lee's films, you'll see their like visual Easter eggs. Like there's the shot of Bruce coming in on the kayak from Enter the Dragon at the beginning. Uh, they kind of parody that in the film. Um, Samuel basically plays like a country bumpkin that comes to the city to help like his uncle with a restaurant. So even all of that is like kind of like you know Way of the Let's Dragon. Say, that's, that's kind of that's kind of Way of the Dragon and um, yeah. Big Boss, yeah, one. Yeah, one. Totally. yeah, and uh, he basically his character idolizes Bruce Lee. They don't really like um, dwell on that too much, but it drives his 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 persona. And um, basically, he defends his uh, uncle's food stand, and he kind of gets sucked into um, fighting like organized crime in Hong Kong. And um, also, there are, uh, I mean. Like so many other Hong Kong films, you're going to see actors in films that you recognize. But uh, Roy Chow is in this film, and Billy Chan's in this film, alongside like uh, all the greats from the era. Lam Ching Ying, Huang Ha, Chung Fat, uh, all these dudes are in the movie. Um, Harkong Fong. It, it's actually great, because like, I, I, when I was digging through, uh, the guy that plays the uncle uh, is actually Harkong Fong's father in real life. And I was like, whoa. whoa. Cool. Yeah, so huh. I learned a little bit the last time I was digging through this film. Um, you also get some uh, takes on other tropes. Like, so there isn't a Jim Kelly in this film. However. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, Lee Hoi Song, one of our favorites, right? He's always great huh. in films. He's uh-huh. one of the heavies in this movie playing a Jim Kelly uh, type. And I'll cool. leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, regardless, it, it I think it's a very entertaining film. It, you get all of the stuff you love out of uh, Samo films. There's some really fun slapstick in the movie, and um, yeah, if you're a fan of Bruce Lee, you'll get a lot of enjoyment too. So um, the next one is uh, more in the realm of Bruce exploitation, but also I feel like uh, in its own way, it's kind of a take on it too. So this is Dynamo, also from 1978. That guy looks and fights like Bruce Lee. If we could build up his image, the company could use him. Uh, this is directed by Hua Shan, who is the director that did Inframan. And um, this stars Bruce Lee, L.I., Ho Chung Tao, who uh, for me is like one of my favorite, like not Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um,. Uh, the one thing that I really enjoy about this film is one, the plot's pretty interesting, but also this is a young clan film. So all of the action in this movie is handled by, I, I believe primarily young Chun Yan, but you'll see Yun Chun Yi and I believe Brandy. I saw him in this film too. Yeah. And, um, basically it, it kind of like directly addresses Bruce exploitation because, um, Right at the beginning of the movie, you see that they're talking about Bruce Lee's death and how everybody's sad about him being gone. But there's like this advertising agency that are looking for like a new star. And they zone zone in on uh, Bruce Lai, Ho Chung Tao's character. They say, oh, he, he could be like the next Bruce Lee. So like they kind of wrap him into this 
he's like a taxi driver, but they wrap him into this kind of celebrity and they're training him and um, Ku Fang's in it, uh, who is an oily maniac and a whole bunch of stuff. And um, all the fighting's really good and all of it. Like, so what ends up happening is he's he's this Bruce Lee type. But he ends up fighting against this rival, like, advertising agency, which sounds weird to me, too. But um, I think it's a really good one. And actually, there's a really good uh, Blu-ray release of it, too, which we don't really get, you know, these, like, crazy upscales of films like this. So um, I believe the company is Pearl River. And, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm not going to look it up, but I think that's what it is. And you can get that on, like, Amazon or wherever. It's, It's worth checking out. Yeah. So um, the last one I wanted to bring up is mm-hmm. a film called Bruce Lee and I. This is from 1976, uh, directed by John Lawman. And it's starring Danny Lee from Inframan and mm-hmm. Betty Ting Pei herself is in this film. So not Sweet. only it, we didn't really talk about Bruce Lee's death a lot while we were covering because I feel like so many people talked about this. And honestly, we were trying to celebrate Bruce Lee's life. And um, I didn't want to dig into the dirt of Bruce Lee's death too much. Um, but leave, leave that to the Bruce exploitation movie. Yeah. So okay. Well, here's here's a crazy take on it because this is Betty Ting Pei's story about Bruce Lee's death and her life leading up to that and what happened afterwards. It's insane. This is a Shaw Brothers film, and she stars in the movie playing herself, and it's it's a category three film. So there's like nudity, like the first five (laughs) minutes of this film is when Bruce Lee died. It's like her and Bruce having sex in their apartment. She's rolling around naked. And uh, (laughs) then he like has like a brain spasm or something. They, they don't really, so it's tasteful is what you're saying. (laughs) It's not tasteful (laughs) at all. It's like, honestly, the most tasteless film I've seen in a very long time. And, um, and we've literally watched two movies with, bruce's actual casket this is yeah this is straight up like a star is burns level of filmmaking (laughs) 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 like it's boo urns of bruce lee movies boo lee sorry (laughs) yeah (laughs) are you saying boo or boo urns i was saying boo urns um, some notable stuff. There's a Raymond Chow clone in this film. So, I mean, obviously he was involved in this. So there's scenes where they have to cast the Raymond Chow lookalike. But it's also um, the Shaw Brothers movie. So it's, <laughs> it's just probably like pure propaganda. Right. Like yeah. And the other thing that's like funny that. too, is that, well, with all of these films, you're, you're not going to get Bruce Lee type fighting. Like, the Samo one, you get, like, really great action, but it's, I mean, outside of what he's doing, it's mostly, you know, what you'd expect. The Yun clan stuff is very Yun Wu-Ping style, and this is a Shaw Brothers film, so it's like that step-by-step dance choreography of a fight, right, you know? Yeah. But it, it's wild. Uh, it's, she, like, Betty exploitations herself, you know? <laughs> it's like yeah, I was gonna say, it's crazy that it's like, I'm playing, this is the story of how I interact with bruce lee right before he died and i'm playing myself yeah that's bonkers 
Yeah, so they, they say he has a quote-unquote brain disease, and that's how mm. Bruce Lee dies in this. But yeah, Danny Lee playing Bruce Lee. And actually, in Dynamo, in the U.S. version of Dynamo, um, like the the crappier, like cut-up version, they insert scenes from this film with Danny Lee as Bruce Lee into that film, like for no reason at all, just to have more action. <laughs> huh. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think all of these films, I think Bruce Lee and I might be the hardest one to find of these three. Um, it was also called Bruce Lee, His Last Days, His Last Nights, I believe. But uh, yeah, those are the three that I would recommend checking out for various degrees of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Yeah, yeah. And now we're never going to talk about Bruce Lee ever again. That's it. We're done. <laughs> done forever. Um. So yeah, let's. I guess we can uh, pivot back, talk about our movie for the day, No Retreat, No Surrender. But uh, let's take a look at the back of the VHS. Young Jason trains day after day to be like his hero, Bruce Lee, while his father runs a karate dojo in Los Angeles. But when the mob muscles its way in, his father suffers injuries at the hands of Ivan the Russian, forcing a new start in a new city. Times are tough for Jason as rivals challenge him at every turn. Only the advice from Sensei Lee can give Jason the focus to empty his cup and become the hero to win the hearts of fans and enemies alike. UNCUN and Seasonal Films brings you the U.S. directorial debut of Corey Yuman. Kurt McKinney and Jean-Claude Van Damme face off in No Retreat, No Surrender. Dude, that was like a Raising Arizona length cold open for us. That was like <laughs> amazing. I love it. Uh, get the title card halfway through the episode. So yeah, the we're going to be pretty breezy with the movie because it's, it's basically Karate Kid. If you want to watch this movie a bit better, watch Karate Kid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's you know, this, this kid, Jason, is real into Bruce Lee and he lives in LA with his dad and mom. Um, you see the mom like once in the movie. Um, it's mainly about him and his dad. Um, and then these these toughs come in. They they rough them up because I guess they're trying to extort local karate places. I well, know. I mean, they, they actually explain it. There's two versions of this film, and it's pretty inconsequential. But in the international version, they have a couple of beats where they talk. Well, the father has like an inner monologue where he's saying like, oh, these guys... They just come in and they take over like dojos and use them for a front for organized crime. And uh, that's what you see right at the beginning of this film. Everybody in class yeah. and then right at the end of class is when you're introduced to the gangsters. One being Jean-Claude Van Damme looking mm -hmm. pretty fly. And uh, they basically are trying to strong arm their way into the place like to make him sell it. And he says no. And then what happens is you get a little fight sequence here that's actually, like we said, it's pretty nice seeing the, the way the fights are shot and um, the choreography. And I feel like the dad, uh, well, one, all the acting in this movie is really, really bad to me, yeah. to me personally. It's pretty, like, it's pretty handy. Yeah. Yep. But I think he actually looks pretty good fighting. They made him look nice. Yeah, uh, I thought so nice. too. Yeah, fighting. So uh, he fights and then Jean-Claude Van Damme steps in as the heavy and he injures his father. And, um, yeah, then Jason has to, uh, they decide to close the, the school and they move out of the city to escape these gangsters. So they move mm -hmm. all the way to Seattle. 
Yeah, and I love it's so funny to me whenever they're going to Seattle because there's an establishing shot of Seattle where you can see the Space Needle, mm. and then they drive past a sign that says "Welcome to Seattle," <laughs> and then there's a title card that says Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> nice, just to just to really let you know where they are. Yeah, and then I didn't oh, even realize great. this. I'm um, it's worth mentioning this movie has a riff tracks if you are familiar with that. Um, it's the the some of the MST3K guys basically. Dude, is this the, the first stick. film we've covered that has like a riff tracks or MST? Oh man, Ooh. that's a great question. No, you know that what? Good question. I would be willing to bet, bet that Oily Infra- Maniac, Inframan. Come on, right? I would. It's about to say Oily Maniac or Super Inframan have to have one somewhere. Yeah. If not, then um, maybe we should do that. <laughs> no, I'm yeah, not as yeah. good a comedian. No, I was gonna say we're not. It. I'm not no. that funny. No, um, <laughs> but um, but that's the thing they point out in this is. Um, whenever they're moving in, like whenever they're pulling up to the new house, they're like, well, welcome to Seattle, guys. Home of clear blue skies and dry lawns. <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah. And so, so yeah, good. when they, they, they move pretty quick, they get them to Seattle and right away you're introduced to J- Jason's the, the son and you're introduced to what will become like his buddy sidekick, RJ. And he's he like, has sleeves on for maybe one scene in the movie. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah. But he's like the cool breakdance buddy. Like I, I like that character. Yeah. And, and just oh, yeah. Like, no, unstoppably positive and yeah, yeah he's he's great but yeah. yeah it's pretty much all these characters you can kind of close your eyes and imagine like shaw brothers or golden harvest regulars i mean even the mm-hmm. premise with this mob boss i mean think of how good that would work if it's like period you know kung fu school and it's mm-hmm. like oh, oh yeah. we're gonna you know run you out of town like i mean not that you couldn't make this work but the mob guys never make any kind of overt threat of like, and if you call the police, such and such will happen. So it's like, it's a little, it's a little weird. And I I mean, I wonder if it says something too about another cultural difference, which is like, we really believe that the dude's dad would call the police. Like he's that kind of like rule following law abiding guy. Um, And so, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of funny because it seems like they're banking on, um, an understanding of like the mafia that's maybe more like a triad or something that I don't think totally works. So I think then the result is it ends up being a little broad and far fetched where like, I don't think it necessarily would totally read that way if it was like a Hong Kong set thing and swap out, like swap in a Dean Sheck and we would be good. Right. Oh, dude. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, this, I was actually kind of, I mean, also dub the movie seriously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And oh man, that's speaking of dubbing the movie. This movie, I'm sure, has mostly sync sound. It shouldn't, though. <laughs> there are some scenes where it is like, no, oh, shit. like we this left a it, microphone on the other side of the room again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or like the eight, like eighty. This is why ADR exists. Like whenever it's later, but whenever they're in the the Seattle Karate Dojo and they're like talking and it's like literally every time they talk, you can hear so much room tone that then just goes to (laughs) silence and then comes back whenever they start talking again. It's like, it's, it's so bad. (laughs) Since, since we're mentioning audio too, um, what I did notice is that, so I I said there's two versions of the film, both Mm -hmm. versions have different soundtracks, but they're both done in the same style. So the international version and the U S theatrical version, um, the, the music is done by a man named Paul Gilreath, 
And uh, I, I honestly, I love the scoring for this movie. It's like, I mean, it's very cheesy '80s synth mm-hmm. stuff going on, but um, I think, I think it works really well. And um, actually, like the international version a little more. But there are some moments, like one moment I noticed, like when that RJ, he's doing like a rap. The this, mm-hmm. yeah. it's not in time with his rap. But not I, at all. Yeah, I watched the the U.S. version, and it's more in time. So, oh, okay, I, I think that makes sense. Maybe the the U.S. theatrical version is like the core version of the film, and then the the international version is maybe that like a, I don't know. It also seemed cut. like there were some needle drops. I mean, if only because like some of those pieces sounded really familiar to me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I think not only is the point of view like a kind of familiar Hong Kong perspective, but really the pipeline of this production post-production is um, you could imagine Ng Siyun and Koryun feeling like, Hey, we know how to make movies. And I mean, they very much do, but um, again, it's just uh, the kind of shoestring budget and feel for the whole thing really ends up, I think kind of working against it. Yeah, and the whole, like we were saying, the riff on Karate Kid. So from what I heard, uh, it was filmed in 84, but the film didn't come out for a while for reasons um, in either 85 or 86. And um, I mean, that's totally Hong Kong stylings. You know, hey, this movie is really popular. We're going to riff on it and do our own take on it. Yeah. And I, I think that really sits in line with Hong Kong cinema. Mm-hmm. Don't you kind of wish it would have just been Kung Fu though? Cause it's like, what is the, I mean, it's clearly only karate because of its like popularity in America and the movie right. karate kid, but it's like, yeah. I mean, did, did you catch any really karate kind of influence choreography? I, I think it's just like you much. said, you know, it was so, so established in American culture. I mean, when I was a little kid, we went to karate class, and I think right. I just used my gi for like uh, Daniel Larusso Halloween outfit eventually. <laughs> oh, perfect! <laughs> but I mean, I was in the same space, man. Like, sign me up. We'll do it every week. Every, I think it was every Thursday after school. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, That's funny. Yeah. So, okay, the other tropes that we have to mention, though, is like, okay, we've got a girlfriend situation, which is a weird thing, too, because I think in one of the versions... Yeah. It must be a missing scene or something. Yeah, right? so... I was going to say in the, in, the, I think it's in the international one, because yeah. they, uh, this is on YouTube, by the way, mm-hmm. entirety. Um, and I think the international cuts, the one on YouTube, is the one I watched. You can find them both right now, actually. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's funny. <laughs> yep. Um, but yeah, that he he meets this this his his girlfriend apparently because he's just like, oh, we're going to Kelly's birthday party. Okay, who's Kelly? And then he goes over to her house and they like immediately like start kissing. Yeah. and gives her a thing. He's like, oh oh okay, I guess you know her already. <laughs> in the and then the way they set it up is it's in. like, oh, this is like my ex girlfriend. You know how it works in America. Like once you're in town with your ex girlfriend, you're back <laughs> on. It's like exactly in the theatrical version. There's like a. They, they have like a date scene where they go out and they're on a date. So when you see them uh, are they're basically being reunited when when you see them in the, the, yeah. the party situation. But OK, so with the girlfriend, you've also kind of got the trope of the rival and the bully. So 
they introduce the bully pretty early on, right when he moves God. in. And um, it's yeah, it's like you're. That's another another riff tracks joke. Is all he's missing is a shirt that says "I'm fat" on yeah. it. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's like always got food on his. He's face always and... eating. He's introduced eating a giant piece of cake just out on the street. Yeah. It's like I mean, he's trying right. to kind all of follow right. like in like a John Candy like footstep yeah. or something, and it's. Mm-hmm. And he just yeah, dislikes them for no reason, really. For no reason. <laughs> right. It's that slime ball, RJ. Hey, Scott, why do you hate that kid so much? I've got my reasons. I I do have to give this guy credit, though, because I feel like he's probably the best actor in the movie. I mean, yeah. He, <laughs> he's he does, got the... No, I think I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, he, I mean, he, he does sell it. Yeah. Um, he, he plays a, a fat, annoying kid. Yeah. <laughs> the fat, annoying kid trope. Pretty good. So where this leads is that, uh, yeah, once there's a reuniting with the girlfriend, then you find out that the the, the rival is basically an instructor in the local uh, karate dojo. And um, the, the bully is also part of that school. So he basically yeah. sets these traps to make things bad for our main character. And I mean, I don't know, like, I never really had problems with bullies or anything when I was a kid. But even watching this, it just really tiresome like i don't have the patience for this in films anymore but i understand this was the what was going on back in the day and i mean every movie had this then and it's funny that like everyone loves this bully (laughs) like like no other people are like what are you talking about we don't know these people sure there's the restaurant scene where I, i think it's maybe one of my favorite scenes in the film where um he basically is like paying for their food so that's why people are around him but there's also the really great beat so rj is outside in the parking lot and he basically surrounds him and um eventually jason helps him out and the bully's like this is between him and me but then the the next line he just says is get him no retreat no surrender (laughs) (laughs) that really gets me every time i love that but then yeah he 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 fights off the bullies and he's, his dad finds out and gets real mad at him for because because his dad is very much like you know you only use it for defense and you know right. no fighting and stuff. Trying well, it's to also low. like the dad's like really overcorrected. Like he left town presumably from the fear of mm-hmm. um you know these mafioso karate <laughs> New Yorkers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's 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 now now it's like he's he's completely turning his back on martial arts in general. And um, yeah, it's driving a rift between him and his son. But uh, the other thing I wanted to mention too, is like the, the, the rival boyfriend rival kind of, um, yeah, he's like the, the fighter bully, I guess. Um, he's played by Dale Jacoby who I, I don't believe had many roles. And actually what I found out was that they handpicked him at Benny the Jet's uh, uh, studio. You know, Benny the, Jet, oh, Benny wow. the Jet had like a, a gym in L.A. area and they were scouting for the film and Benny handpicked him to be in this film. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, he looks really good. Yeah. And uh, the other person that um, maybe action people would recognize is uh, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham. He's the African-American student at that school. Um, He's like a championship kickboxer. But for me, I recognized him because he fights Yoon Bu in um, Above the Law, Writing Wrongs. Yeah. And I I think that's like the next year after this film comes out. And yeah, he's really great. And actually, um, 
the podcast Marshall Mania podcast. One of the co-hosts of that podcast is a student of his, and he still trains people to this day, which is pretty cool. But I mean, you see him in this movie, and he gets a couple of great action sequences. But you can see how good he is on camera too. Dude, awesome. Yeah, honestly, I kind of wish he was on camera more because because yeah. like you can tell, he actually has like he's 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 pretty good at at, at acting. Yep. And as um, we're progressing through the film, you get these beats where um, Jason's character goes to Bruce Lee's grave. So we're not oh, like yeah. straight up showing Bruce Lee dead, but you're visiting Bruce Lee's grave site, which is yeah. kind of weird. My name is Jason Stilwell, and I just moved here from Los Angeles. I'm a martial artist, too, and I want to be like you someday. I practice what you teach, and I've read everything about you. That's how I knew that these were your favorite flowers. Please give me the courage and strength to stand up for what I believe. Thank you, Sensei Lee. Uh, he keeps pleading with him, like it's kind of a guiding light, like I need help, I need help, and yeah. then that eventually crescendos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it leads to like he he gets in a big fight at at the birthday party, which it's so funny to me. It's like the the girlfriend is like it's you say it's a rival he's not even like she's not interested in the rival right yeah she's all. rejecting and him like it, before the fight ever happened so yeah kelly don't fight it it's bigger than the both of us the only thing bigger than the both of us is your ego i'm not interested go find some other girl to test you're the only one i want to test give me a break kelly it and Jason's still acting like you just want to be with him, and she's like, "No, I very obviously don't." <laughs> right. um, but so he uh, uh, he gets kind of run out. Um, they uh, him and RJ go to an abandoned house. Yeah. Um, and which again, I think that that just has a different kind of connotation in in Hong Kong of like a building that no one's been in is not like you know there's gonna be a bunch of like hobos or something living in it so um but yeah but they set up his kind of dojo there um and then one night he like falls asleep reading a manual and then the ghost of bruce lee shows up yeah and it's like and what just Marty turn was on the floodlights on his face and yeah right i mean in game of death they were very careful well i mean they were mostly careful to not show him <laughs> directly or having yeah. the lighting kind of uh, emphasize his face so mm-hmm. uh, we don't get that here we get a nope yeah, straight up I mean it's, it's very it's really obviously tough not Lee. it's like there's a profile I think it's his right side where Kim Tae-jung is somewhat convincing yes. I would say as Bruce but this very first shot just kind of screws the whole movie really because yeah. it's just it's just dead on and yep. he just looks like a guy he just looks <laughs> like a guy like, That's- you just wake up in the middle of the night it's like Oh, sorry. Is this your house? Like, did I? <laughs> <laughs> it just does not sell it at all. Um, oh, I did like the kind of. So at, before he meets him, he keeps saying Sensei Lee, which you know, like knowing what you, you know. I guess yeah. coming from karate, you would say that. But I, yeah. he he checks him and he says, "You call me Lee Daigol." You know, so yeah, yeah and it's cool. it's kind of weird too because you have to realize that it's uh, Kurt McKinney's you know english speaker and you know you've got Corey yun who and i mean i don't know what his english was like at this point and then you also have kim taejong who's korean 
And yeah. so it's like all these different languages, but I mean, they got it's like an Italian it. yeah. production or something. Everyone's yeah. just kind of speaking their own language. Well, and it, it, the other thing too is it's like, um, I mean, if you think of the resources that might be available to really sell this thing, it's like you could be doing something um, in terms of like a practical effects uh, perspective, something like with haze, like more, uh, more haze, or I don't know, some kind of obfuscation. Um, and just then, give them the sunglasses. Right. Yeah. And then our actor, again, like we said, um, there are angles from which it it's sort of a passing resemblance to Bruce Lee. But then it's got to be the voice. I mean, Bruce has this iconic voice, and I don't know if it's Kim Taejong like dubbing the lines, but why couldn't you get I mean, by this point, there was like everyone and their uncle was doing mm-hmm. a Bruce Lee impression. Like, couldn't you have gotten someone to really sell it? And I don't know. And just kind of like embarrassing because it's like, yeah, Bruce had an accent, but he didn't sound like a like foreign speaker of English, you know. Um, right. He had his own character know. to it. Yeah. And it was, I mean readily apparent and i i think that was one of the iconic things that people could do to imitate him i mean in a positive light or a negative light i guess but or imagine if like before you see his face you just hear that iconic voice and then you see the face like that could maybe kind of work i do love that they do the empty your cup idea you know like you can't learn anything unless you empty your cup but they use a diet coke (laughs) For yeah. the example, that is, I feel like this was this movie was partially paid for by Coca Cola. Yeah. They were gunning for it. I'm guessing it didn't happen. And I yeah. also, <laughs> I also like that they kind of get into the whole one inch punch idea. That's that's pretty yeah. cool. But basically, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the 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 spirit of Bruce Lee guides Jason to do more training. So we yeah. get some. Sweet... And then most of the last thirty <laughs> minutes of the movie is is training montage. Training montage. Yeah. But I mean, and, I mean I, I, like I said, I, I like the music. A, no, yeah. totally. And also it's like, again, this is like tried and true in Hong Kong cinema by this point. And I think it's maybe one of, even though I, I feel like from a screenwriter perspective, a lot of folks look down at something like a montage, but it is, I think one of the more effective stretches of the movie here. Um, and I don't know. I think it has Corey Yun on like a, on a strong foot. But yeah, I mean, pretty much we're kind of into the into the home stretch, really, by yeah. this point. It doesn't exactly feel like it, but right. Um, and I also would say that we should mention that Kurt looks really good too. Like he he hits those kicks like right on yeah. target. And yeah, I think Kurt McKinney is like well cast in this movie, and mm-hmm. he um he's not just kind of like a blank stare who can perform martial arts. Like he's, I mm-hmm. think he's there's something that's really likable about him. Uh, but it also makes, I think, some of the bullying stuff a little hard to believe. It's like, no, this feels like a dude everyone would like. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah, when he gets all frustrated and pouty, it makes him seem like a little kid. Yeah, yeah, totally. Too. It's like, leave it to the, leave it to Beaver or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, so our mobsters are trying to move in. And basically, the end of the film is a tournament, which ends up being like the L.A. schools stuff versus the the mobster school stuff and um like i said before you get to see um some great action from like our hand-picked heroes even though if they were rivals you still get to see them doing some nice work and uh jean-claude van damme 
really tears up a lot of people. And there are some stories about him actually hitting people. Um, when you when you see him do yeah. that kind of iconic, like Corey had to like try to keep telling him like not to make contact or something, right? Yeah. So um, that that shot of him doing that kind of iconic John Claude Van Damme kick to uh, Peter Cunningham. It looks, I mean, it looks straight on like a contact shot. And um, yeah. there were some stories that there he got knocked out and there were some stories that this and that happened. I mean, I don't, I don't know all of that stuff. And that's just kind of like the action film discourse that kind of is very tempting to get into when you're listening to all these stories <laughs> right. from different people. I, I don't know if we got, I, I, I'm sure I mentioned like Gene Lobel, like carrying Bruce Lee around and uh, Bruce Lee getting mad. And then, you know, there's. I mean, there's some other crazy Gene LaBelle stuff that you could look up involving, like, I mean, the one is that the, the Steven Seagal story, and I'll let you look that up if you want to, and who knows what's the reality of things, but I think it's kind of like, that goes in hand with a lot of the behind the scenes of, like, all of these action films that we love. When you start right. to get into, like, the Western side of, of action movies... It's all it's kind of all about like who's the real tough guy or like how did what really happened on set who disliked who or you know and these things and it's like all that being said uh here we are in the final fight and you get to see Jean-Claude Van Damme doing some wild kicks you get to see um Dale Jacoby actually the you know the the rival the the quote unquote rival he he looks really good he gets tossed out of the ring pretty nasty um yeah the I like the the final fight is like basically it's uh you know all like the LA people coming in and mm -hmm. fighting the the cool Seattle guys but like we don't like any of the Seattle guys. That's what's funny <laughs> right. too, right? They, they've all been jerks to our main character the whole time. There's and one catharsis. of them literally like the 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 big brother of the of the girlfriend uh is like literally says who is this guy <laughs> to <laughs> to our main protagonist. Yep. Yeah, they don't really do enough to establish those relationships to make it like a kind of a more impactful finale. But mm -hmm. you yeah, you see Jason, he's seeing everybody get roughed up and he, you know, understands that this is the same guy that, you know, beat up his dad and the cause of all their troubles. So he hops in and he he ends up fighting him. And um he even has like kind of a recalling of his training memories kind of deal. And he ends up defeating Jean-Claude Van Damme. There's some yeah. really kind of fun, inventive choreography using like the ring, like the ropes yeah, from the yeah. ring. Yeah, is really good. And yeah, this this whole thing feels very professional wrestling. Yeah, oh, yeah, like, totally. good, even yeah. with like yeah, even a the new person like kicking. Ref, yeah, yeah, like they, yeah, like they kick the ref out, and it's like this you know new guy coming in and everyone's booing and stuff it's very wrestling there's our boo urns right there yeah yeah i also i'm I, i'm pretty sure they filmed this in like just like a school gym or totally something. it looks like, like it yeah you're right uh there is a great shot of uh jean-claude van damme ripping his shirt off that's <laughs> that's good and that amazing shot of him doing the the classic split on the on ropes. the, the yeah. ropes in the corner i think that was yeah. like one of the things that basically got him the job for like every role <laughs> mm -hmm. they're like whoa this guy can do that all right you're hired <laughs> the couple of things here that are super hong kong cinema is one right after the pool scene we see uh, whenever he's like all sad and running back home <laughs> yeah, it flashes the, back to the, the pool scene that he just oh, yeah, left yeah, yeah. 
Perfect. which is a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in this final scene, whenever he's like doing all of, like the final moves, it's flashing back to his training yeah. and like showing yeah, how totally. his training paid off. It's pretty effective. Um, I like it. Yeah, it is. It's it's pretty cool. It's a trope for a reason. There's one thing, you know, we're we're at the end and he's the hero and they everybody lifts him up and that's mm-hmm. that's the end of the film. One of the things that I wanted to mention too is like there's this kind of almost not even a B plot, but uh the dad ends up being a, like a bartender and he's like dealing with his own kind of bully. Did you guys think that maybe they were building that up to being like the bully kid's dad, like the fat bully? Oh, he- I thought that was I thought that was just ex- Yeah, I had that stated. Vibe. Oh, did they? Did they say it? Because I, I well, because there's the there's a scene earlier on where the kids like mess around with like a pressure washer or something. Oh yeah, and I'm pretty sure that's the same. Oh, the same guy as his dad. Okay, I must have missed it. But yeah, I, I thought that was pretty fun. He gets like beer poured on his head. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's very very broad, yep. uh, bully kind of stuff. Um, and also it has like a the bar has a very like has like this kind of generic. They couldn't afford Dolly Parton kind of country music <laughs> right. in yeah, the background. Nice. And actually, that's that's one brief scene that I don't want to have to get into. But um, there's like a dance competition or something. And that's where Jason reunites with uh, Kelly, where it's like this, like everyone's very clearly dressed up like Michael Jackson in different yeah, forms. Yeah. But they obviously couldn't afford to get a Michael Jackson right. song in 1985. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, um, it's kind of a um, cute pretense to kind of get them dancing together. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's and the show awesome. RJ does some more stuff too. Yeah, yep. he totally. was in Breaking Two, the the Canon Electric films. Boogaloo. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. And actually, I mean, since I mentioned that, uh, that was like one of Jean Claude Van Damme. I think it's his first on camera role. He's an extra in the back of a scene in Breaking Two, Electric Boogaloo. Oh, cool. Yeah, but yeah, that's that's No that's Retreat, No movie. Surrender. It is a it's a goofy movie. Um, it's fun if you. I, I would. I do think the riff tracks is really funny. Um, Dude, I'm gonna have to check, check that out. out. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's on the. Uh, obviously, you can buy it from the you know, from the riff tracks people directly. Um, but there is uh, the Roku channel. <laughs> um, oh. ah. um, if you have a Roku TV or just on the website for Roku, it's on that with with commercials. And if you have an ad blocker, it doesn't have commercials. Nice. So. Um, they're just this close to winning the streaming wars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say they, they might win the streaming wars because I saw the trailer for that Weird Al like. Oh, was Dan oh yeah, that the, just came out the, the day we were recorded. That looks so entertaining. It looks, it looks so good. Yeah, it makes it because it's like Weird Al hasn't done a movie since UHF and it felt kind of UHF. So. Yeah. Right. So and um, that I think that's a Roku channel exclusive. So they might just. Win. Oh, really? Oh, Never sweet. mind. They're pulling it out. <laughs> yeah. Well, so it's funny. We've been I think we've been slagging this movie off a bit and it's like I would say deservingly. But from the perspective of like, okay, here's an effort for Hong Kong studios and director to actually make a Hollywood film. I have to say they, they do, they get a passing grade. I mean, the, the movie worked, it opened in theaters. Um, I don't think anyone would have raved about it, but I don't think they would have kind of thrown it out of the room and said like, oh, what are you talking about? This isn't a Hollywood movie. Like, you know, we're kind of bringing maybe an overly like critical and like sharp lens to this stuff. But I've got to say it's, I think, kind of an example of an early success, if a very, <laughs> you know, like moderate, mild, mild success. But 
you know, years later, Corey Young would kind of come back, um, not necessarily as a director, but as an action director. Um, he worked on Lethal Weapon 4 in the 90s, um, was the fight coordinator for the first X-Men film. Um, mm-hmm. And then uh, The Transporter was, you know, like a, that's a huge international hit where, you know, Corey is, yeah, some incredible choreography there. And um, Yeah, definitely. And yeah, and, but um, it's, it's, so I don't know. I mean, it, it's a, definitely an important kind of like landmark in the story that we're kind of starting to cover here for this next arc. But um, yeah, maybe a little bit of a soft start or something. We'd say. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess I, I see what you mean. I, I, I have a soft spot for action movies like this. Like I liked all the American Ninja movies, like all, all of the Canon film stuff was really fun for me as a kid. Yeah. And, it was it was definitely um, the prevailing like style of like action at the time, and I mean I ate it up. I loved ninjas, and I loved karate, and I loved. I did watch some professional wrestling when I was a kid, so I, I mean I really liked like Ric Flair and like seeing like these bad guys tear <laughs> it up, and you get a little bit of that in this film. And No Retreat, No No Surrender spawned a couple of sequels. Actually, I did hear it was. Um, they were saying that Kurt McKinney, he was actually on Scott Adkins, um, uh, the art of action, like, uh, mm. uh, YouTube channel. And, um, he was saying that Jean-Claude Van Damme warned him away from doing the sequel because they were going to be filming it in like Cambodia and Thailand. And he said basically that Jean-Claude Van Damme's like, yeah, you, you got to stay away from there. Like there's like some lawlessness stuff going on. Like <laughs> you can get killed and stuff. He's like, you, you can't, you shouldn't do the movie. So basically he didn't do it because of oh, that man. reason is wow. what he said, which is really funny. And, um, but I mean, no Sheet nor surrender Two starred, um, Lauren Avedon who had did a bunch of like kind of similar style action films around the time. And yeah, I don't know. I think they're all really fun. If you're, if you're in the mood for something like this, and you pick no retreat, no, no surrender. You're gonna have a good time. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I, I, I do really like how. Yeah, you're, you're, you're pivoting us into what we're gonna be talking about, which is yeah, Hong Kong stylings yeah. in the West. Through, well, not, yeah, through I, Hollywood I think lens. another note I forgot to mention earlier is it's like, you know, this is a year after the. I mean, depending on which release you're talking about, but you know, kind of in that neighborhood of. The Protector, which we've sort of talked about before, which oh. was like the first attempt for Jackie to weed like right. a U.S. film, you know, and it's like mm-hmm. Robert Klaus directing. Yep. But it was mm-hmm. like famously in Jackie's eyes, um, a frustrating project that he did not view as successful, but really kind of spurred him on directly to make Police Story. Um, so kind of interesting putting that in a context where even if – um, some of what we've been saying about this movie doesn't sound like, yeah, super glowing. It, it is, I don't know. I think it does get off the ground better than something like the protector. And I think kind of bodes well for just maybe which aspects of kind of like the Hong Kong toolbox are really going to land in the West. Yeah. The the other thing is that Corey Yoon as a director is still pretty new too. So we would get right, Yes right. Madam and we would get Ninja in the Dragon's Den, which I mean I love that film. I'm sure yeah. we'll talk about that someday. But um it's it's cool to me to see that he was like, Hey, you know what? I'm gonna 
go over to Hollywood and see what's going on over here. But I'm still going to keep doing what I'm doing in Hong Kong, too. It wasn't like, hey, we're going to put all our chips on being famous in Hollywood. It's like, hey, no, let's let's try this out and see what's going on, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, great point. Well, thank you so much for checking out our show. If you enjoyed it, then you can leave us a review on whatever you're listening to this on. You can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're at Heroes, the number three podcast on all three of them. And if you have any questions or comments or anything like that, uh, you can shoot us an email at Heroes, the number three podcast at gmail.com. And yes, next week we are starting a whole new arc uh, not Bruce Lee related. I mean, <laughs> well, there's everything's in the shadow of Bruce yeah, Lee, I suppose. Yeah. But, but yeah. Um, and this is yeah, this is Hollywood movies with with the Hong Kong influence. Um, and we are starting next week with Bloodsport from 1988. And I love this movie, and I cannot wait to talk about it. Dude, and awesome. we're going to have a guest on, which is very exciting. Yeah, really exciting. We're experiencing still 1988. This is a ripple effect. From Enter the Dragon, we're getting returning cast members from that film, and arguably, I mean, maybe like Bolo Young as Chong Lee, maybe his most yeah. iconic role. And mm-hmm. uh, we're also and seeing Jean Claude Van Damme. Jean Claude yeah. Van Damme again. Here we are, and yeah, Bloodsport, not directed uh, by Hong Konger. This is directed by a man named Newt Arnold. But uh, regardless, uh, any. Anything in the reflection of Asian cinema coming out after Bloodsport also would be, in a way, reflecting Bloodsport, too. Even in video games, we'll talk about that, too. All right. Well, until next week, we're taking a look at Bloodsport. I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Remember your training. Heroes 3 is part of the Mercado Brothers Podcast Network.